Amen. Have a seat. Was in my car the other day, flipping through the radio stations, and all of a sudden I heard Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. And I knew we were really close to Christmas. Now, some of you could be judging me. Did he really listen to it? Not only did I listen to it, I found both Christmas music stations, programmed them to my car, and now I'm blasting Christmas music in the midst of a 70-degree November day. So, absolutely, it's Christmas time. And that means we also have Christmas Eve services right around the corner. I know it's hard to believe, but it's coming. And so we're going to do things a little bit differently this year. Uh, the pastors are getting together tomorrow, and we're recording a video. And it's the most dangerous video we've ever recorded, and you'll see why, promoting Christmas Eve. So get ready for that in the next couple of weeks. And the services are going to be a little bit different this year as well, obviously, since we're in a pandemic. So we're going to have Wednesday, the night before Christmas Eve, on the 23rd at 6.30. Thursday, our times are 12.30 just at this campus, 2, 3.30, and 5 at all three campuses. At 3.30 will be a live broadcast of our service. So if you want to share that with others, if you can't be here, uh, whatever it is, we'll make sure that's live at 3.30 and you can join us. But we are asking people in advance to sign up to come to a service. Obviously, we need to make sure and try to prepare the best we can for crowds. And so we, we need to limit that because obviously we have 200 and 20 seats in here, as opposed to 650 that we normally have in here as well. So if you want to sign up, the sign-ups start now. So whatever time that you see, you can start to sign up. Uh, I ask that you wouldn't sign up for like 10 seats because you think 10 people are coming, and that would really prevent us from making sure everyone is supposed to be here that is here. So uh, once you figure out what that is, make sure to sign up for that. And you can do that by texting the word CHRISTMAS to 419-504-1777. We will have infinite threes uh, through threes available, and then everyone above that can join us in the services. What is great is in our back pockets, we do have extra times that we can and probably will add to that to accommodate as many people as we can. At least one more on Wednesday, and at least one or two more on that Thursday. So if it does fill up, don't worry. We'll release more times as we go. So make sure to sign up. All right? I'm not sure what your favorite TV show is, but my favorite TV show is the show Shark Tank. Many of you maybe watch it or at least have heard of it, and it's on Fridays at 8 o'clock. Now, a lot of times I can't watch it because of my kids and hanging out with them, but when I can watch it, oftentimes at commercial, they show a commercial for ABC's 2020. Now, I'm not a 2020 fan usually, but sometimes it hooks me. Like there's a murder mystery coming up and they tell me if I tune in at 9 o'clock, 8 central for the next two hours, I'm going to figure it out. Who did it, why they did it, and all of those other things. And so sometimes it's 9 o'clock and I start to watch this show for the next two hours becoming a couch detective, trying to figure it all out. Now I like those kind of shows, 48 hours, 2020. I listen to podcasts, these murder mystery podcasts. They're, they're enjoyable to me. But there was a murder that happened that would not have ever fit on one of those shows because it was a open and close case. It would not have fit on that show because it wasn't a mystery. It was actually the first murder ever recorded in scripture. It was the murder of Cain killing his brother Abel. Of course, two brothers, right? Genesis chapter 4 tells us about Cain and Abel. Abel was a shepherd, Cain was a farmer. And they decided to bring their gifts to the Lord. 
And God received Abel's gift, but rejected Cain's gift. And the reason he rejects Cain's gift is because God tells him, essentially, look, Cain, what you can't see is there's some bad things happening in your heart. And if you're not careful, these things are going to turn into actions that you're going to regret. And they're going to be devastating. You need to be careful. Well, Cain does not listen to the Lord. And in his anger and his jealousy ends up murdering his brother, Abel. Now, a side note. Do you know what my roommate in college's name was? Cain. I'm not kidding you. Who names their kid Cain? Of course, I slept with one eye open. No, I did not. He was a really good guy. But so this, this murder mystery, it's not, I'm sorry, it's not a mystery because it's open and, and closed. And the reason I'm telling you this story to start off our time together is what's interesting is the Apostle John, when he's writing his letter of 1 John, references this letter and connects it to our relationships with others. Essentially, what he is saying is this. Sure, Cain may have brutally murdered his brother Abel, but what if we are killing our relationships? And we don't even know it. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at 1 John chapter 3, at least verses 11 through 18 together. And as we do, I want you to answer one question throughout our time together. When it comes to loving others, And being in relationships with others, whether it's your spouse or a stranger. Will you take the path, this easy path of selfishness, or this costly path of selflessness? It's up to you what path you take. So turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3 if you have them. If you want to look up on your phone, just type in 1 John 3. I'll have the verses on the screen for you. And we're going to start off by looking at John's desire for relationships. What are they anchored in? And here's what John says. John says, this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Now John's thesis for relationships is anchored in selflessness. It's anchored in love. He's saying all of us ought to love one another. And you may be here today and say, yeah, of course. This isn't rocket science. Of course we ought to love one another. But wouldn't it be that that great if it was that easy to do? If it were that easy, we wouldn't have to be here today. All of us struggle to love each other. In fact, John knows this. He knows what a struggle it is for us to love one another. And so he gives us this example of Cain and Abel to show us why we struggle. He puts it this way in verse 12. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. Why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. Now for many of us, I hope we would feel like we're successful in our relationships because we haven't killed anybody yet, right? Now, many of us probably feel like we want to kill each other. Like, I'm going to, you know, in some of our relationships. But hopefully we haven't done that yet. So check mark, right? But what if John isn't using this story of Cain and Abel as a literal example? What if he's using it as a figured example? To ask us the question, yes, you may not kill people literally, but what if you're killing relationships and you don't even know it? In other words... We're brutally honest. There are many of us 
in relationships with other people and we blame our boss, we blame our spouse, we blame our friends, we blame our family members, we blame a stranger, and yet maybe, just maybe, we have found ourselves on this easy path of self-selfishness. And God wants to point that out to, point that out to us today to get us off of it. Because if we don't, we're going to continue to be destructive and toxic in our relationships. So how do you know you're on this path of selfishness? Well, Pastor Stephen Cole, he's very helpful and gives us this definition of what it looks like. He says it's a selfish and sensitive attitude that shows itself in disregarding others' good as I seek my own interests. Let me read that again. Think about your own life for a moment. It's a selfish, insensitive attitude that shows itself in disregarding others' good as I seek my own interests. John calls this kind of behavior evil and satanic. He said that Cain was evil and belonged to the evil one. And yet many of us are brutally murdering our relationships and we don't even know it. And so what I want to do for the next few moments is I want to put up a few warning signs that you and I may be on the path of selfishness. And we may even recognize it or some of us may not. And as we look through these examples, all I'm asking you to do is just Take a self-inventory and ask yourself, is this me? Don't be doing this to your neighbor. Don't be thinking, oh, that is my spouse. <laughs> I want you to think, is this me or not? Okay? Here's this first warning sign that we're on this path. I am the standard, and hopefully people will meet my high expectations of them. Now, we don't say this, of course, but we live it. Many of us have a high regard for our own self. And we make sure people meet our expectations. And if they don't, we look down on them. Who's really bad at this are Christians. Christians somehow have taken God's standard, which we'll look at later, and we've made it our own kind of concocted standard, and we think we're better than people, and then we look down on others who aren't. We do that how we think about people, how we speak about people, how we live amongst people. We are the standard and everyone else needs to meet it or we treat them as less than. I have a very difficult time putting the needs of others above my own. When it comes down to it, I want to make sure my needs are met and my way is the right way and my way is the highway. But when it comes to other people, I struggle to make sure that I meet their needs. It's not something that I seek out. If it happens, it happens. But I'm not actually trying to put other needs ahead of myself. If I do something for others, it better, better fit in my schedule and I better get credit for it. So if we do things for other people, we make sure, of course, it works around our best time. Not their best time, our best time. It better fit into my schedule, my family's schedule. And if I do it, I better get recognized on Facebook for it. I better get a thank you text or whatever. And if I don't, well, I'll make a mental note. I'm not going to ever do something for them again. When I don't get my way, I throw a fit, either outwardly or inwardly. My two-year-old, when she doesn't get her way, oh boy, everybody knows it. 
I know a lot of 32-year-olds and 52-year-olds and 82-year-olds that when they don't get their way, everyone knows it as well. Sometimes it's outwardly in outbursts of anger. Sometimes it's inwardly and we become defensive or we just pass on by other people and we treat them like we ghost them and we don't really talk to them anymore. Eventually it'll come out some way. I expect others to listen to me, but I become disinterested when others talk to me. So when I'm ready to talk, you better invite me over to your house. You better have the coffee on. I want to pull up a chair. Don't get your phone out and let's talk. And I want you to listen to me. But when it comes to other people, we'll listen to them, but we're scrolling our phones. We're distracted. When they send us a text, we may respond. But when we send other people, they better respond now. It's a big difference. And finally, if I, if, if I ever apologize for something, I make sure the other person knows what they did wrong as well. This kind of apology sounds like this. I'm sorry, but everything after but is really what they're thinking, and everything before that but, I am sorry, means nothing. Because what they're using is that apology to launch into their case in which why you are the one that really caused this, not me. If you have any check marks next to those six things, then there is a chance, a really good chance, that either intentionally or you just are living this way because we all have selfishness in us, we have fallen on this path of selfishness. And whether you recognize it or not, you are hurting other people because of it. Now, when I went through that list, I won't tell you how many checks I had. Let's say it's between six and six, somewhere around there. And it's so easy to, to read those things and be like, man, maybe it's not my boss. Maybe it's not my spouse. Maybe it's not other people. Maybe it's me. And you can get down and discouraged. And yet, my whole hope for you today is, yes, to take a self-inventory of where you are in relationship to others. And to ask yourself, is it possible that we've fallen onto this selfish path of being in relationship with others? But now, what I want us to do is say, guess what? We can change. As starting today, you and I can get on this other path. Now, it's not going to be easy we named this other path a costly path of selflessness. But you can get on it. And I promise you, those in this room who are having really hard times in relationships and you recognize maybe it's me, it can change. It may not change overnight, but it can change if you're willing to walk this costly path of selflessness. Now, if you're like me, you're ready. Okay, give me five ways to do it. But I can only start off by giving you one. And it has nothing to do with other people. Because what John is going to tell us is just like Cain is a great representative of selfishness, Jesus is the ultimate display of selflessness. And if we don't get this relationship right with God through Jesus, we'll never get our relationships with, us, with each other the where we want them to be. 
So we have to first focus on what's going on here before we can focus on here. It's why John says in this very next verse, he says this, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Now, if you've been in church for a while or you've read this Bible or whatever you know about God, you can read this verse and be like, yeah, I already know this. What else? And yet what John is saying is, Chapel, you need to stop for a moment. And you need to pay attention to this. I think so often we skip over that Jesus died for us. We just think it's just part of the Christian theology, and it is. But it is the cornerstone of our faith. It is the most important thing, and we can't get used to it. When we get used to this, I promise you, it'll be a lot easier to fall into toxic patterns in relationships. If we don't every single day start out by thinking, oh my goodness, Jesus laid down his life for me. That Jesus was selfless when he didn't have to be. That Jesus was so selfless that he gave up heaven to come down to this earth, this toxic earth, this broken earth, and he came for people like you and me, broken sinners who have a past, who hurt people, who have shame and guilt and carry a lot of baggage. Jesus came for us. And he wasn't just selfless in that he gave up heaven to come to this earth. He was also sacrificial. That he literally laid down his life. That he died on the cross. That he took our place on the cross. And then he resurrects three days later so that we can have eternal life beginning today. And thus that life can be thrust into our relationship with others. We can't get used to this. It is our everything. Tim Keller says every morning we need to preach the gospel to ourselves as if we've never heard it before. Because when we're not used to it and we discover God's love afresh and we get this relationship right, I promise you, the outpouring into your relationships will change forever. Because John doesn't just say in 1 John 3.16, we know what real love is. is because Jesus gave up his life for us. It's not the only thing he says. He says, you receive it and you must give it. He says, because, so, therefore, as a result of Jesus giving up his life for us, we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is a privilege This changes everything. Jesus willingly gave up his life for us because he knew how much we needed. And now we get to, not that we have to, no, we get to serve other people. We get to be selfless, selflessness attached to sacrifice. We get to give ourselves up for the benefit of other people. How great is that? It doesn't just change your life. It'll change other people's lives. And the people in your relationships, whether it's your spouse or a stranger, deserve it. Just like how much we needed God's love through Jesus. Stephen Cole, he gives a great, a great definition of what this looks like. It's a little bit different than his definition from before. 
He says it's a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one love. I love that he says it's self-sacrificing and it's a commitment beyond feelings. Because if I lived by my feelings all the time towards people, this ain't happening. (laughs) But if I look at it as a commitment, that I'm doing it whether I feel like it or not, my actions go first and my feelings will come next. And we get to love people the way Jesus loved us. Just as desperate as we are for God to give us another chance and to give us his fresh love and his fresh grace every single day is what we get to give other people. Now John's going to make it really hard. This isn't going to be easy. He gives us an example of what it should look like right away. In this example, you're like, dang, John, really? He puts it this way right in the next verse. He says, okay, if we're going to do this, here's what it should look like. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? You're like, really, John? You're going to go after money? Yes, he has to. Because think about it. What is the thing that you and I want the most for ourselves but don't want to give to other people? Our money. Our stuff. Now, we'll give to other people when it's convenient, when we want to, when we have a little excess, when we want to be recognized. But to give up selflessly and sacrificially stuff for other people. John's saying, I know how hard it is, but let me tell you. I didn't tell you it was going to be easy. But it's going to be so worth it. Because the costlier, is that a word? Yeah, we'll make that up for today. The more costly it is, the harder it will be for you, but the better it will be for you the better it's going to be for the other person. If you don't believe me, look at the cross. It was costly to Jesus. So beneficial for us. So too, it must be in our everyday lives, whether it's our finances, our free time, our words, and John's going to tell us in all of our actions, our love must be selfless. And it must be sacrificial. And it must be costly. Because that's what love truly is. John tells us so. He says, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. If you tell someone you love them, but you don't show it, it means nothing. Intentions are cheap. Actions are costly. And yet it's the proof that we have God's love in us. If we're not showing our love to especially people that we don't want to love, you better go back to square one and make sure this is okay. Because I can promise you something's out of line if we can't do that for other people. We must love by our actions. So what do these actions look like? I'm glad you asked. I gave you six signs that we're living selfishly before. Now I want to give you six encouragements to live by in order to live selflessly. And you and I aren't going to do this every day perfectly. It's not going to change tomorrow, but this is a great way for you and I to live for and hopefully go after in our relationships. So here's just a few ways that we can do that. My standards for others reflect God's standards. What's God's standards? Grace. Grace, grace. 
his standards go out the window. You don't have to hit a bar for him to love you. The bar is set low on purpose because he knows we're going to mess up. Yet he gives us grace after grace after grace. He doesn't say, you did this and hold it against him. He gives it anew as if you never did. Are we doing that in our relationships with our spouse, with other people? Are we giving grace, grace, and more grace to those people, especially who hurt us? I seek, I desire, I want to put others' needs ahead of my own. I get to do this. This isn't drudgery. This is an opportunity to put other people ahead of my own because I know that's where true joy is. If I do something for others, I'm going to do so for God's glory, not my own. I don't need to have credit for it. God sees it so I can do things in secret in order to show him how much I love other people. When I don't get my way, because it's going to happen, it's okay. I'm at peace with it. That means someone else is getting their way, and that's a good thing. I don't need to get my way all the time. I am more interested in listening to others than being listened to. I'm the one putting the coffee pot on. I'm the one inviting them over. I'm the one staying up a little bit later than I want to or getting up a little earlier than I want to to listen to people. I'm the one that wants to get back to people in a timely fashion. Not right away, but in a timely fashion. I want to take an interest in other people more than I want them to have to listen to me. And then finally, when I apologize, I sincerely mean it. Not only do I own everything that I did, but I'm going to do so without having to blame the other person. Those are six signs that you and I have this relationship right. That we see how much God loves us. That we give it away to other people. I love what John Maxwell says, and we'll end this way. Most people want to change the world to improve their lives. But the world they need to change first is the one inside themselves. You and I have a choice. We can take the selfish path and it's really easy and it comes natural to all of us. And yet when we're taking that path, whether we recognize that we are murdering relationships or we can jump on to the costly, selfless path. It's going to take a lot more work. It's going to force us to make sure we're okay. But the end result is going to be indescribable your relationships with others are going to thrive, even if they don't play their part. Because you're loving people the way God loves you. What choice or what path will you choose? Let's pray together. Father, I'm just thankful for Jesus. Man, I don't deserve his love. And yet, Lord, not only do I receive his love, Lord, you're telling me I have the opportunity to give love, especially to those who don't deserve it. And so, Lord, may I pattern my life after yours so that when people interact with me, they walk away having a better picture of who you are through my love for them. Thank you that we get the opportunity to do that in our everyday lives. We give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.